This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by 23andMe.com. With 23andMe's genetic service, you can learn what percentage of your DNA comes from places like Italy, Finland, East Asia, or Africa. Visit 23andMe.com slash fool. That is the number 23andme.com slash fool. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. I'm your healthcare show host, Christine Hargis. It is August 16th, and I have healthcare specialist Todd Campbell on the line. Todd, you are just returning from a trip to Cape Cod. How was it? It was great. And, you know, I, I don't know if when you travel, you're always looking for investment ideas. I always am, <laughs> no matter what I'm doing when I'm when I'm traveling or if I'm going to the dentist or whatever. I'm, I'm trying to figure out if there's an investing angle. And I have one for you, Christine. Oh, OK, let's hear it. Go Long Wellfleet Oysters. Oh, my God. They're so delicious. Is that an actual company? No, (laughs) but they are delicious oysters. (laughs) Maybe someday they'll go public and and then we can make all of the riches. (laughs) There we go. Yum. Sounds really good. So for today's episode, we talk a lot, you and me, Todd, about the upper echelon of biotech stocks. I think we cover Gilead Sciences ad nauseum. We talk a lot about Celgene and Amgen. But there's one company that is right up there with the big guys that I think might be a little bit undercovered by industry focus. And that company is Regeneron. So we figured today we would go into the the depths of Regeneron, talk about what is going on with this company, whose stock is up 30% year to date. The ticker for those of you following along at home is REGN. And so there you have it. That's today's topic. <laughs> Let, let's hit it. Christine, I am wicked excited to talk about this. Wicked this excited. That is such wicked a, a North thing England to say. Wicked. <laughs> uh, you, you know, because again, you know, you 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 hit on that. We we talk a lot about companies like Celgene, one of my favorite favorite stocks out there. Um, and but Regeneron is a very interesting stock, and it's a little bit smaller than those three upper echelon players, Gilead, Amgen, and Celgene. It's got a fifty billion market cap instead of a hundred billion market cap. But there are reasons to think that this company could kind of take that next step higher and become, you know, part of that commonly discussed group uh, on the show and, and elsewhere. And I, I thought, thought that it would be a lot of fun to sort of dive in, talk about the different things that are going on at the company, because there's a tremendous amount of research and development uh, activity going on at the company. And, you know, it's Again, it's a it's big company. I mean, this is a substantial investable idea that we can talk to talk to our listeners about. They've got 5,400 employees, a 50 billion market cap. They did almost five billion in revenue last year. Uh, they're, they're profitable and they make a lot of money. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, this is definitely not one of your tiny preclinical stocks that we sometimes talk about on this show, but rather an established player that is clawing its way up to be at the top of the the hill of biotechs. This is a company that for a long, long time was known for just one drug called ILEA. This is their flagship product that was first approved in 2011 for various retinal diseases. And they're just recently, within the past few years or so, starting to branch out and diversify into other drugs. They now have a handful of approved drugs and an incredibly deep pipeline. But let's start at the beginning and talk a little bit about ILEA. You know, Christine, I think one of the listeners' favorite shows based just on responses that we get in the past have been the catching lightning in a bottle type shows where we've highlighted CEOs that have have successfully developed drugs and then sold their companies and are now trying to do it again. And I think that, you know, we should really give a shout out too to proven leaders, uh, CEOs at companies 
that, that don't leave and start over, but still catch lightning in a bottle over and over and over again uh, at, at the companies that they stay at. And one of those leaders is Regeneron CEO, Len Schleifer, who has proven that he's developed a very good model for discovering, developing, and now winning FDA approval of, of drugs across a few different indications. You know, you mentioned Ilia being the, the number one drug, um, or the most important drug right now for the company uh, in terms of revenue and everything else. But they actually have had six different drugs that they've found uh, internally that have made it through the FDA gauntlet and, and, and have made it to market. Four of those being significant drugs, which I define as drugs that um, either already have a billion dollars in sales, Ilia, or uh, could end up having a billion dollars in sales, which would be these three more recently discovered drugs, Proluin, uh, Dupixent, and Kevzara. Yes. And so looking at these these drugs, as you mentioned, a lot of them do have the potential to eventually hit that blockbuster status eventually. But I think it's also important to look at ILEA and its own growth, because this is a pretty established drug that has been bringing in a lot of revenue for Regeneron for quite a while. But it's still growing fairly quickly. Sales in the US were up 11% year over year. Regeneron just reported its earnings on August 3rd, so we're talking about the second quarter here. And in that quarter, it sold nearly a billion just in the quarter alone. So this is at nearly a four billion dollar run rate just with U.S. sales. And it's important to note that Regeneron actually receives just a share of profit from ex-U.S. sales because it's partnered with Bayer on this drug. Um, but right, Bayer and and Ilia working, uh, Bayer and Regeneron working together on commercializing the drug globally. This is a monster drug in a huge indication. You know, we, we mentioned briefly, I think you mentioned briefly, that it's, that it's approved to treat wet-stage age-related um, related macular degeneration and uh, diabetic macular edema. These are two uh, increasingly common causes of vision loss within older patients. And if you think about this for a second, just what's the argument for, for the growth that you're referencing? You know, you've got 76 million baby boomers and they're turning 10, uh, t- turning 65 at a pace of 10,000 people per day. Well, you know the the the, the incidence of of these two indications within this patient population as they're getting older and they're living longer is increasing. And you know what's really intriguing about Ilia and its success. I mean, this is a drug that did 1.5 billion in global sales uh, last quarter alone. So it's got a six billion global run rate is that you know that growth has come not because of price increases but because it's being in more increasingly used you know you have more patients being uh, diagnosed with these conditions uh, and then some market share wins i mean there's other players and we'll talk about the competition too because i think that's important too you know i mean i think that this is an important drug it's likely to remain an important drug for the company especially given the fact that they have patent protection on the drug that stretches out into 2020s Right. When you look at the indications that it is approved for, you can see the demographic trends hidden in the names of the, the diseases. You have wet age-related macular degeneration, wet AMD, is age-related, as you mentioned. That is a huge growing population. Its other approved indication is diabetic macular edema. And this is a diabetic condition, and the population of diabetics is also something that is growing. Uh, it's also approved for diabetic retinopathy in patients with diabetic macular 
edema, edema, my apologies if I'm pronouncing that incorrectly, but you can see exactly why this drug will continue to grow. And you mentioned that it does have some competition. It's competing with a drug called Lucentis. There could potentially be some biosimilars to Lucentis, which are copycat versions of it that could be a little bit cheaper once the Lucentis patent expires in 2020. There's also an interesting competition going on between Lucentis and Ilea and Roche's drug called Avastin, which is a cancer drug that's being used off-label in this indication because it's so much cheaper. Yeah, but- it's way cheaper, and it's in as a result, its market share I think is like I think I want to say it's like thirty to forty percent in wet AMD. Yeah. So there's. A, there's it's there's interesting. I mean, it's one of, of for me at least, it's one of the most high-profile. Uh, times that we see an off-label drug being used across an indication with with any sort of huge reach. Uh, yeah, and it would, wow. And you take this one step further. You say, okay, well, you know, you see Avastin being used so commonly, right? And that's eating up a big share of the market. Then you look at it and you say, well, wow, Ilya's sales are already six billion annualized, even though you know the, you've got Avastin controlling so much of it. And then you throw Lucentis in the mix, and you're like, that's another three, four billion dollar a year drug. I mean, this is a huge market. It's getting bigger. And I think the big question for Regeneron and for investors is going to be not you know, is going to be, can Regeneron maintain uh, its market share over time as we get 10 years out um, against some of these other competing therapies maybe that are coming through the pipeline by companies like Allergan, which is working on a wet AMD treatment um, as well. And I think the answer is going to be ultimately is going to be yes, Christine, because you know, Bayer and Regeneron are teamed up on uh, another combination drug where they're taking a brand new drug and they're mixing it with Ilia. And that's in mid-stage studies. If those late-stage studies end up panning out, well, then theoretically you could transition over time off of Ilia to this other drug. Granted, I'm, I'm looking further out here and anything can and will happen in clinical stage trials. But I think it's important for investors to know that you know, Regeneron is looking ahead. They recognize how important this indication is to their their future financially, and they're taking some steps to try and sure themselves up long term. Yeah, this this is a company that recognizes it has a really strong foothold in retinal diseases. It knows how important ILEA is to it, but it also knows that it needs to diversify. And it reminds me of a lot of other companies in this regard. For example, this would be let's compare it to Gilead Sciences. This would be like Gilead Sciences saying, "Hey, we know HIV is super important. That's been the foundation of our business." And I'm I'm talking a couple of years ago now, but you know, at that point they said, "Okay, well, we need to do something other than HIV as well to continue having new growth." Drivers. And still today, you see Gilead branching out into new indications and trying to find that next step. You know, what is going to drive future growth? So, before- yeah, similar to Celgene too, right, Christine? When you talk about Revlimid and eight billion in sales from Revlimid, yeah. and they're spreading out into some of their indications too. You're right; it's very important for these companies to be expanding, and Regeneron's doing it. Yeah, it's a story that you see a lot. And when you think about the the life cycle of biotechs, they often do strike it big with one indication or one drug, and then they are. A Established and they have cash flow coming in, and they need to use it to fund clinical development to keep that growth moving and keep investors satisfied. So, before we dive into everything else going on other than ILEA with Regeneron, this episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by 23andMe.com. 23andMe.com is a genetic service that can help you discover where your DNA comes from around the world. You can learn what percentage of your DNA comes from places like Italy, Finland, East Asia, and Africa. 
With your 23andMe reports, you can explore your connection to the world in a whole new way by traveling to the places that reflect your DNA. Visit 23andMe.com slash fool. That's the number 23andme.com slash fool. What will be your DNA destination? So, we have talked a whole ton about ILEA, and don't get me wrong, that is a very important component of Regeneron, but we think it is even more exciting to discuss what else Regeneron has going on, both in its product portfolio and in its pipeline. There are so many moving pieces to uh, this company um, over the course since 2015, and it's really important for investors who are interested in buying Regeneron to understand both the the, the positives, you know, what the market opportunity could be for its newest drugs, uh, but also some of the risks and the challenges that are facing these drugs. And I think that a great place to start, Christine, would be to look at Proluent, which of course was the first of the, of the I guess you'd call it the three most recently launched drugs, um, and that one approval in summer of 2015 for, um, for use in treating bad cholesterol, high bad cholesterol in patients that had, you know, genetically caused in which it was genetically caused, a pretty tough to treat indication. And you know that drug launched to these multi-billion dollar blockbuster expectations, but you know it's been a little bit disappointing. I mean, it's still selling pretty well, but it's nowhere near kind of what those expectations were. Right. So Prevalent is what's known as a PCSK9 inhibitor. We've talked about them on a show before. It is a drug that works to lower your cholesterol levels in a novel way. And when you consider how many Americans take drugs for cholesterol levels, you would think that this would be a huge success. The problem is it's pretty expensive. This drug is $14,000 a year. And you compare that to drugs like statins, which are mostly uh, not under patent protection anymore. The generics are pretty darn cheap, especially compared to $14,000 annually. So this drug really is not doing as as great as people were expecting. It saw sales of just $46 million in the past quarter. And that was up from $26 million in the, the quarter a year ago, so Q2 2016. But still, these numbers are really tiny for a drug that was supposed to be a billion-dollar blockbuster. Mm, yeah, I know. And I think that a lot of investors were disappointed by that. And that's one of the reasons that maybe Regeneron shares underperformed in 2016. Uh, but I think that they're looking forward now and they're saying, OK, well, you know, Prowlin sales are up pretty substantially year over year. We're now at about a $200 million a year run rate. That's solid. And there is a big phase three study that's wrapping up at the end of this year with data coming out early in 2018 that could move the needle and make this drug uh, more commonly used too, and that's an outcome study that's evaluating whether or not using Prolwin actually reduces the likelihood of major cardiovascular events like heart attacks and strokes. Which, you know, that data is pretty darn important if you are a payer looking at whether or not a $14,000 price tag is worth it. You might want to know, is this actually going to lower the risk of a cardiovascular event? So, there's 18,000 patients in this study, and we should be getting data in early 2018. That could swing things in a positive direction for this company. Let's also look at one big threat to this drug and to Regeneron, which is the ongoing legal battle that they have with Amgen and its competing drug, Repatha. Yeah, boom, 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 right? I mean, it's it's not all roses and, and fairy tales over here. We've got, we do have a big risk, a big challenge that, that uh, investors have to be aware of when it comes to this drug, and that's that Amgen has sued Regeneron and Sanofi, its partner on the drug, um, for patent infringement. 
And so far, the courts have been siding with Amgen on it. Matter of fact, uh, previously, the courts actually said that uh, Santa Fe and uh, Regeneron would have to stop selling Prolin in the United States. That was stayed pending appeal. So that's why you're still seeing um, you know, this drug on the market racking up revenue. Uh, but, you know, the, depending on how this all shakes out, I mean, you could you could run all sorts of different scenarios. You could say, OK, Amgen ends up winning in the appeal. And as a result, you know, Proluent disappears from the marketplace alongside along with its 200 million in, in annualized sales. You could say, OK, Amgen wins and they cut a deal to share royalty stream somehow with Proluent sales, or you could say Regeneron comes out on top, Proluent continues as is, the outcome study comes out uh, aces, and the next thing you know, you've got a billion dollar blockbuster on your hands. Right. So, as with many legal matters, outcome hazy. We'll see what happens with that. But what you need to take away from this is that Proluent has thus far at least really not lived up to the hype. But fortunately, that was not the only drug that Regeneron was developing to diversify away from Ilea. And it was able to launch a drug recently called Dupixent, which is now approved for moderate to severe atopic dermatitis. Mm, yeah, this is a this is a really really intriguing drug, and it may even have a bigger commercial opportunity than Proluent does. Uh, moderate to severe eczema is is very difficult to treat. There's not a lot of treatment options out there. The drug costs thirty seven thousand dollars annually, which sounds like a lot of money, but it's actually not that bad. The payers uh, and insurers basically applauded that price tag when it was announced. Um, the market for Dupixin could be multiple billions of dollars in a year, taken with a grain of salt, right? Because we know that, as we've seen in the past, peak sales estimates oftentimes fall short. But I have seen people out there saying that if other studies that are evaluating Dupixin in asthma, for example, uh, results coming soon, stay tuned, potential uh, approval application getting filed by the end of this year, you could see this drug generate out $4 billion in annual sales by 2023. Now, I think that's a stretch. But I think what, it, what you can look at this drug and you can say is, you know, if you've got with its current uh, current indication and with the potential in asthma and with the potential to be used in more patients over time, uh, this absolutely could be a significant driver of sales. And Santa Fe and Spread Generon will split any profit on it. Yeah, even despite the little bit of skepticism that there is about whether this drug will be able to outperform drugs like Novartis's Consentix, uh, there's also competition from the, the likes of GlaxoSmithKline. It's definitely not a, a market that they have to themselves. This kind of has become the favorite child after Prowlant was so disappointing. So, the, lots of excitement going on around this drug and particularly seeing how it launches in its currently approved indications as well as how it performs in some of the currently ongoing trials that you mentioned. Yeah. yeah. And Christine, just to interject before we jump to the next one, um, Q2 sales of the drug. So first quarter on the market, 28 million. So better than 100 million run rate right out of the gate. Yeah, that's that's not bad. And it's pretty hard to project future sales based on the first quarter on the market. But that definitely is a good sign that payers are accepting the price tag and doctors are prescribing the drug. So off to a good start and definitely something to keep an eye on. Oh, actually, one more detail before we move on to the next drug. Uh, Amgen is also battling over this patent, which is kind yeah. of interesting because Amgen doesn't even have a rival drug here. They don't even have something in the pipeline, um, which also means that they can't ask for an injunction that would pull the, the drug from the market 
market. But Amgen's just looking for money here. It's like they're a consistent thorn in the side of Regeneron. But anyway, moving on to the next drug that we want to highlight. This one is called Kevzara, and it treats moderately to severely active rheumatoid arthritis, which is another enormous indication. Yeah, multi-billion dollar indication with a lot of players uh, dominated by um, anti-TNF drugs like Humira, which uh, listeners will probably remember, this is Humira is the biggest selling drug in, on the planet with about what 16 billion in annual sales. Um, you know, Kazara is not going to be that big. It's it's going to be a bit more of a niche player because its approval is for use in patients who have tried and and failed on other therapies like DMARDs and, and Humira and, and the like. However, $39,000 annual price tag is, is cheaper than Humira, and that has some people thinking that, you know, Kazara could win away um, sales in this indication. And again, grain of salt um, warning, uh, peak sales estimates could be a billion for the drug over time. We'll have to see though, because again, this is a competitive marketplace, and uh, it, we're not. I'm not entirely sure just how how much of this market they'll end up winning. One key question to to keep an eye out for is whether doctors will eventually be able to or, or want to prescribe this as a first line treatment. For uh, for context, they actually did uh, test this against Humira in trials and showed that the two had similar safety, and that should be really important in making the case to prescribing doctors that you might want to just try Kevzara right away. But yeah. for now, that's that's not going to be the case. You know, Humira is extremely well established. There are plenty of other drugs that are established in this space, and I think you're right that for now it will be kind of a, a niche later line drug. Yeah, I think you watch it over the course of the next few quarters and just see what the prescription trends look like in the quarterly reports. You know, you 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 know all of these companies, as as listeners should know, uh, you know they talk about their performance every quarter. You can see the transcripts online. You can go through and read them after they have their discussions. And oftentimes they'll talk about market share. They'll talk about prescription trends. They'll talk about how these drugs are doing. And I think that if you, you evaluate this one over the course of the next three or four quarters, you get a feel for whether or not this is going to be a drug that does you know 200 million a year in sales or potentially could do much more than that. But it's still going to be you know a fairly substantial drug because I mean think about it. I mean it, when you start poo-pooing drugs that may only do nine figures in sales, you know you've got you're talking about a, a pretty pretty strong company. Yeah, exactly. But that's not all. They also have a humongous pipeline. We just walked you through the product portfolio, things that are approved, but the pipeline also has 17 more product candidates in it. Five of them are in phase three trials. And some of these are label extensions for the drugs that we just talked about. For example, Todd, you mentioned earlier uh, extending the label of ILEA. Uh, I think you also mentioned Dupixent in asthma. That's going on. They're also looking at Proluent in hypercholesterolemia. So, expanding that indication to a, a wider set of people. But they also have completely novel candidates that they're studying. There's one drug called Fasinumab, and they're studying that in osteo- osteoarthritis pain as well as chronic lower back pain. Uh, they have a PD-1 drug, which is something that we we talk a little bit on this show, and that one is called Regen, R-E-G-N 2810. Yeah, is- Christine, you know what? Just to interrupt for a second, 
I think that one might be the one that investors really want to focus on in the pipeline. Yeah, because it, it could be huge. I mean, these PD-1 drugs are absolutely enormous in their scope. Currently, the drug, uh, the 2810 drug, is being studied in phase three in non-small cell lung cancer. Uh, they initiated it in the second quarter. They also have a potentially pivotal phase two study in basal cell carcinoma that was indicated in the quarter. So, because of the mechanism of action, it, it could absolutely be possible for this drug to treat a variety of different cancers and could seriously rack up some sales there. Yeah, we talk about Updevo and Keytruda a lot on the on the show. Um, those are the two top-selling PD-1 drugs. Uh, they have combined sales of over two billion a quarter right now. Um, obviously, you know this is a huge market that could be targeted. What companies like Regeneron are doing that are a little bit late to the dance is they're looking for indications that are under-treated, uh, where they can get fast track and early accelerated approval so they can play a little bit of catch up. So there's smaller indications, but they can get to the market quicker and then they can file for supplemental uh, approvals after that uh, on a little bit more of an expedited time frame. so they start to generate some sales. I think the thing to watch here is data from their trial in cutaneous squamous cell carcinoma, second most common cause of skin cancer. Uh, data from a pivotal two phase two trial is expected in that soon. And if that's good, then they think that they can file for approval within the next 12 months. So theoretically, depending on if they get fast tracked or not, you could have you know this PD-1 drug hitting the hitting the market in we'll call it 18 months. Yeah, when you look at Regeneron's most recent quarterly earnings statement, the press release has this grid on it, and it's you know upcoming catalyst. I believe, if I'm recalling it correctly, it's just for the remainder of the year, and it's packed. There's so many things in this list, and if you extend that one year out, it's just incredible how many different pivotal trials will have data or potential approvals or filing for FDA approval. This company really has a lot going on for it. One thing that I, I want to highlight uh, before we sign off, because we haven't talked about this very much, is the collaboration that they have with Sanofi. Sanofi is a partner on almost all of the drugs that we talked about. They, they have a, a huge long-standing relationship. There's also the uh, the Bayer partnership on ILEA. So, this is a company that plays well with others, and it's been very profitable for it so far to pursue this kind of partnership strategy. Right, but Sanofi is walking away from this partnership, at least in, in the, the antibody development, at the end of this year. So people will have to take a look and see what that means as far as they're get, Regeneron will end up getting reimbursed less money for research and development next year from Sanofi. So, you know, I don't think that that's going to be a substantial number, uh, but it could be. It could be a number that that, that puts, poses a little bit of headwinds to sales growth of maybe some of these more uh, uh, smaller drugs like Kevzara. You know, I mean, you, if you lose thirty or forty million dollars in development revenue uh, per quarter, that could that could have an impact. So you're gonna have to watch and see how that plays out. Santa Fe is going to continue to to work on on the existing drugs with Regeneron, and they do still have a separate pact in in uh, Muno Oncology. Again, we were just talking about the PD-1 drug. That's a Santa Fe uh, shared drug as well. They're going to continue to develop that uh, together as well. And you know, I think overall, Christine, you know, this is a this is a financially stable, growing, fast-growing company. I mean, their their earnings are growing quicker than Celgene's, for example. You know, year over year, and uh, they've got a lot going on. I think it's worth having on people's radar. Yeah, I, I think that 
uh, that the Santa Fe collaboration is ending come December is a little bit of a sign of maturity with this company. Uh, when you're an early stage company, it's a lot more important that you have a big brother of sorts handing you money to develop your early stage candidates, get them through all the clinical trial processes, which are very expensive. But then you have drugs on the market and you're kicking off your own free cash flow. And so that's kind of the place where Regeneron is right now. And it's actually at a point where it can be the big brother or the big sister itself. For example, they have an agreement with a smaller company called Intelia Therapeutics, and they're working with them on some CRISPR research, which very early stage, as with everything CRISPR. But Regeneron is now responsible for shouldering the development costs for Intelia, and it'll pay Intelia some milestones, it'll pay royalties on future sales. But because this company has gotten to be of a size where it has financial weight, it has money at its disposal to do things. The balance sheet is incredibly strong. They have well over a billion dollars in cash and equivalents, no long-term debt. They have another billion dollars in long-term investments. I mean, this this is a company that really has come into its own and deserves to be talked about in this upper echelon of biotech stocks. Yeah, it's not a cheap stock though, Christine. We agree with this. That's the final takeaway for investors too. It's a great growth story, but you're paying up a little bit for that growth. Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to share some of the ratios? Yeah, forward P of this stock is 29. If you compare that to Celgene, Celgene's forward P is 15. Its P to growth ratio is 1.74. If you look at the P to growth of Celgene, it's 0.82. It's trading at 9.5 times sales. Celgene's trading at 8.4 times sales. So you know it's a, it's a little bit of an expensive uh, company, but again, all those ratio those ratios are reflecting what we've done so far, not necessarily what we may do going forward. So bear that in mind as well. Yep, absolutely. Thanks, Todd. Before we sign off, uh, I know a lot of the healthcare show listeners are science nerds, which is okay. I am too. Todd is too. Um, so I wanted to share something cool that I read in the news this morning, which is that apparently scientists have created a chewing gum with a peptide sensor that releases a bitter taste in the mouths of patients that have a certain dental disease known as peri-implant disease. So this disease increases the production of certain enzymes that interact with the gum to create a bitter taste, which is just crazy. <laughs> right now, it's only been tested on artificial tongues, but with real human saliva, riddle me that, to uh, prove out the concept. And if it continues to go well, this could be a new way of diagnosing a dental disease by, as they put it, anyone, anywhere, anytime. And so there's no investing takeaway on that. I just thought it was pretty neat and wanted to share. But as always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks that they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. This show is produced by Austin Morgan. For Todd Campbell, I'm Christine Hargis. Thanks for listening and Fool on!